Picture this. You're driving on the open road, taking in the beautiful views this country offers. Then out of nowhere, you hear a noise and your car breaks down. While still frustrating, you feel protected because you have a plan through CarShield. CarShield has helped millions of drivers from having to pay back-breaking car repair costs. All you have to do is call before a breakdown. Plans can pay for expensive repairs on your out-of-warranty car, truck, or SUV. All for CarShield's low monthly rate that never goes up as long as you cover your car. With a plan through CarShield, you get protection on over 5,000 major parts and systems with just a visit to carshield.com Shapiro. I'm talking big money items like your transmission, engine, electronics, and so much more. CarShield is here to keep you moving forward and make car breakdowns and the repairs that follow just a tiny bump in the road. Go to carshield.com Shapiro. Protect yourself from the unprecedented rise in costs for parts and repairs. Visit now to save 20%. CarShield.com slash Shapiro. That's CarShield.com slash Shapiro. When California lost Senator Barbara Boxer, it looked as though the title for stupidest woman in the U.S. Senate had been lost, too. But thanks to the election of Kamala Harris to fill her role, California has retained its title holder. On Friday, Harris tweeted, Judge Gorsuch has consistently valued narrow legalisms over real lives. I cannot support his nomination. And there was an op-ed to back the city up, audit contention up. In it, Harris argued that Gorsuch, a man so qualified that literally not one Democrat cast a vote against him for his federal appellate court position, was unqualified to be on the Supreme Court. Why? Because the court, quote, has the power to do enormous good, and Gorsuch wouldn't do such good. What good would he forgo as a result of being, you know, like a judge? According to Harris, he would have voted to strike down laws forcing teachers to pay union dues because that's a violation of their First Amendment rights, among other obvious legal issues. But Harris says that because Gorsuch might take a look at that stupid old Constitution, he cannot be confirmed. She writes, as U.S. senators, we have an obligation to also examine a nominee's legal approach and ask whether he or she considers the impact of those decisions on our society and the daily lives of our people. Say, wouldn't it be awesome if we had some sort of, like, independently elected branch to make public policy? Wouldn't that be awesome? But according to Harris, judges should fulfill the mandate of Thurgood Marshall, who said, quote, you, you do what you think is right and let the law catch up, which, coincidentally, is also something that every dictator ever has said. But never mind. Harris knows what is right for America. Judges who openly ignore legalism in order to apply her standards of morality. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Okay, so we are going to get to all of the hubbub over Devin Nunez, the head of the House intelligence community, and the supposed scandal surrounding him visiting the White House. We are going to get to Donald Trump's decision to reach out to Democrats rather than reaching out to conservatives. We're going to get to some good Trump and some bad Trump. We'll do good Trump, bad Trump today, which is always exciting. Plus, we'll deconstruct the culture. But first, we should say thank you to our sponsors over at My Patriot Supply. So recently, North Korea has been making a lot of noises about how they want to nuke us. Are they actually going to nuke us? Unlikely. But if they tried to, then now it would be the time to stock up for your four-week emergency food supply for just $99. Actually, I got a nice letter from somebody who is, a, who is somebody who had gone and got the uh, the food emergency food supply at preparewithben.com. They said that there was a flaw in their packaging. They immediately sent a note to the folks over at My Patriot Supply, and they fixed the problem immediately. They were really responsive. They're terrific folks over there. Preparewithben.com, $99 plus free shipping, provides you that four-week emergency food supply, which is great, because even if you're not worried about North Korea nuking us, you should be worried about a tornado or an earthquake. There's always natural disasters, and it takes a while for the government to get to people in some of these cases. Uh, in some cases, the government just doesn't show up at all, and so it's important that you be able to protect your family, make sure that you have as much food on hand as you need. That's $99 for that four-week emergency food supply. Folks in the office have tried it. They say that it tastes really good. Preparewithben.com or 888-803-1413. 888-803-1413. It's one of those things where you do it once and then you never have to worry about it again. Preparewithben.com to get your four-week emergency food supply, which is just something that you should have on hand regardless of, uh, of you know foreign-made disasters or, or natural disasters. You should always be prepared for an emergency, and that's what My Patriot Supply does better than anybody else. Okay, so the big scandal of the day is a fake controversy, and that is Devin Nunez, who's the head of the House Intelligence Committee, he went over to the White House, apparently, and there he met with some intelligence official who told him all of the information that he broke last week. Now, if you recall, last week, Devin Nunez went out and did a press conference where he said that Donald Trump's team was surveilled. Now, he said that they weren't wiretapped. He said that what happened is that basically the intelligence officials were wiretapping all of these, all of these diplomats from foreign countries. And those people had members of the Trump transition team on the other line, as you would imagine they would. And then 
that information was disseminated in an irresponsible and or criminal way. So the dissemination of the information was really the question, not the gathering of the information. And that's an important distinction. A lot of people on Team Trump have been saying that the intelligence community illegally gathered information. There's no evidence of that whatsoever. Did they illegally disseminate information? There, there's actually a fair bit of evidence that they illegally disseminated information about, for example, former National Security Advisor Mike Flynn. But Democrats, in the search for scandal, have been looking somewhere else. So what they say, the case that they are making now, is that basically Trump was engaged in some sort of nefarious activity with Russia, and now they're trying to cover it up. So today, the Washington Post says, quote, the Trump administration sought to block former acting Attorney General Sally Yates from testifying to Congress in the House investigation into links between Russian officials and the Trump campaign. According to a series of letters reviewed by the Washington Post, Yates was notified earlier this month by the Justice Department that the administration considers a great deal of her possible testimony to be barred from discussion in a congressional hearing because the topics are covered by the presidential communication privilege. Now, as you recall, Barack Obama also asserted the presidential communication privilege when he was attempting to defend his attorney general, Eric Holder, from contempt of Congress under Republicans. Yates was supposed to testify before the House Intelligence Committee this week, defying the Trump administration, and then Devin Nunez mysteriously canceled the hearing at which she would testify. He now says that she will testify next week. So the media immediately leapt to there's some sort of horrible cover-up in progress, and they said that that cover-up is worse because last week, before Nunez announced all of this stuff about the intelligence community disseminating information wrongly, they, then the Nunez went over to the White House. So what he says is he went to the White House in order to use a secure computer so that he could look at intelligence information. Lachlan Markey over the Daily Beast, he says this is kind of shady. The House Intel Committee has its own secure servers. There's no need to use the one at the White House. But what Nunez says is that the information was not available at Congress. It was only available to the executive branch. That's where the information was. And that as chair of the House Intel Committee, he's able to see such material without reporting it back to his colleagues. He hasn't revealed what intelligence official actually communicated the information to him, and then he went back to the White House and told Trump about it. Now, that's the part that's a little bit shady. The idea that he went and he talked to this intelligence official, and then he didn't tell any of his committee members, and then he went and told Trump. Well, if that were the case, then why didn't the intelligence official just go tell Trump? So people are latching onto this, and they're saying, well, this is obviously some sort of cover-up. Obviously, Nunez was fed something by the White House, and then he went and updated Trump on the feeding, and then he went out there and, and parroted the Trump line. But there's not a ton of evidence that that is true. Uh, there, there are basically two theories about what Nunez is doing here. Nunez, theory number one is the conspiratorial one, that Nunez knows that there is something nefarious that Trump was doing with Russia, and now he's out there attempting to misdirect at the behest of the White House, which is why he visited the White House both before and after he went out and announced all of this stuff. And, and this has led to a tremendous breakdown in the House Intelligence Committee. They've canceled all their hearings for this week because people can't get along. But here's a counterfactual. Here's another possibility. Let's imagine for a second that Obama intelligence community members are widely dispersing information illegally, which is probably true. And let's assume that Nunez found out about this from some sort of intelligence community whistleblower who didn't want to go directly to Trump because he doesn't trust Trump. Also very plausible because Trump has a big mouth. Trump says whatever comes to his mind, and he wouldn't want Trump to get him in trouble. So instead, he uses Nunez as his cover. He calls up Nunez. He says, listen, it's your job to figure out how to disseminate this information, but I thought you ought to know you're the one on the oversight committee. So you come and you see me right now. Nunez goes to the White House to speak to that person because it's an executive branch agency. And then he doesn't allow the Yates testimony, or at least the White House fights the Yates testimony, not because... They think that Yates has something that they need to keep hidden, but because Yates is just going to go out there and be a political hack, which, again, is not implausible because, after all, Yates is a political hack. She was fired, if you recall, by the Trump administration for refusing to defend Trump's travel ban in court when she was acting attorney general. Both of those theories are plausible, but the media is only covering one of those theories, and the Democrats are only pushing one of those theories, and that is the Nunez-Trump cover-up theory. And again, the big question in all of that is, where's the scandal? If there's going to be a cover-up, you assume something had to be done that was wrong. So far, the only thing I know that was done that was wrong in any of this is that there were intelligence officials who worked for Obama who were leaking a bunch of information to the press and leaking a bunch of information to the rest of the intelligence community and unmasking people. That's the only thing I know was done wrong here. I don't know anything was done wrong between the Trump team and Russia. You know, you can suspect whatever you want, but there's no evidence. Yeah, I, I don't know that anything was done in terms of coordination with WikiLeaks. I don't know that. Uh, neither do you. Neither does anybody else. Again, what's funny about this is that among all the leaks that have happened from the intelligence community to the press, the one thing that hasn't been leaked is actual definitive information that says that Trump was connected to Russia. Still, none of that. There's all the smoke, but there's no fire. 
And so it's just as plausible as the cover-up theory that basically this is an incompetently handled, just normal order of business routine from Devin Nunez and President Trump. So here is Nunez explaining why he went to the White House grounds in the first place. The Congress has not been given this information, these documents, and that's the problem. So, so because, the, because this is executive branch, it was distributed widely through the executive branch. This was from November, December, and January. Uh, and these were reports, just let me reiterate, this had nothing to do with Russia, nothing to do with the Russia investigation. Uh, there is no way uh, for the folks that I had been working with to actually to, to bring this forward to light. There was no way I could view that because they couldn't get it to the House Intelligence Committee. Okay, so he, he sort of says that I'm not going to be able to transmit that to the House Intelligence Committee. The House Intel Democrats are saying, well, what the hell? Why are you get to see it and I don't get to see it? Chuck Schumer, the, the Senate Minority Leader, he says that, that Paul Ryan should immediately fire Nunez, basically. Mr. President, if Speaker Ryan wants the House to have a credible investigation, he needs to replace Chairman Nunez. And then that is followed up on immediately by Mark Warner, who's senator from uh, from Virginia. And he says that basically Nunez has to go. I am totally mystified by what Mr. Nunez has said. And I've talked to my chairman, Richard Burr. He doesn't know. I've talked to Democrats, Republicans on the committee. I think it's fairly mystifying, if not outrageous, that he make these claims. Then goes down and briefs the White House. Okay, and finally, you have Nunez responding. I guess I'm being told that it's, it's not pronounced Nunez, even though everybody pronounced it that way. It's actually pronounced Nunes. I have no idea whether that's true. In any case, Devin Nunes, <laughs> he says that Democrats actually just want him out because he's effective. Effective at what? Nobody really understands. Yeah, well, I'm sure that the Democrats do want me to quit uh, because uh, they know that I'm uh, quite effective at getting to the bottom. All right, of, well, let's hope things. so, Congressman. Okay, so he says that he's effective at getting to the bottom of things. I, I doubt that's why Democrats want him to quit. I think the Democrats want him to quit because, one, it would look like he's guilty, and two, because he will act as a shield for Trump in this. I mean, I, just to be perfectly honest with you, whenever you have a member of the party of the president who's investigating the president himself, it is very rare that you get an honest and credible investigation. Very difficult to get an honest, credible investigation of the president when the person who's leading the investigation was on the Trump transition team which Devin Nunes or Nunez was. So I think that it is, it is perfectly fair to say the media is overblowing this case and that this is a fake scandal and that we don't even know what's going on yet. And it is also perfectly fair to say that if you actually want a credible investigation that is going to be listened to by the vast majority of Americans, you can't have somebody who's on Trump's transition team leading the investigation into Trump. It's just not going to work that way. But all of this is leading the left to lose their minds, and they're, they're absolutely going crazy. So Senator Chris Coons of, of Connecticut, he says that the, the GOP, for example, on Judge Gorsuch, they should never, ever, ever use the, the what they call the nuclear option. They should let the filibuster stand and let Gorsuch go down to defeat him. I mean, this is just insane. It's insane. All right. Well, so then the Republicans are going to pass it using the so-called nuclear. Almost yep. certainly. And I think this is tragic. Um, and in talking to friends on both sides of the aisle, we've got a lot of senators concerned about where we're headed. OK, uh, again, the only reason they're talking about using the nuclear option is because they are talking about filibustering a Supreme Court nominee, which has never been done before, as far as I'm aware. So, you know, the, again, this is Democrats losing their minds because they don't know what to do with, with Gorsuch. They don't know what to do with Trump. They're very frustrated. I understand some of the frustration, but some of that is just endemic to not being in the party in power. Bernie Sanders is back, and he says that he hopes that the GOP does not change the rules when it comes to approving Supreme Court nominees. What concerns me is that right now we have a rule that says appropriately, I think, that for a Supreme Court justice, a lifetime term, one of the most important positions in the United States government, that it should require 60 votes because that would make it bipartisan. And I think that that's where... That's not what the Constitution says. It doesn't say that it requires 60 votes. It says that it requires 51 votes. It's the Democrats who are insisting on 60 votes. And, of course, the Democrats nuked the filibuster along with Harry Reid long ago. So the idea that it's no longer on the table, that you can't do that, that's just absolute nonsense. How crazy are the Democrats going at this point? There's now a report that's out that Chuck Schumer actually started ranting at somebody who voted for Donald Trump at a restaurant in New York last night. According to multiple witnesses, this is over at Daily Wire, as well as the victim of the ugly episode, the leading Democrat in the Senate, New York's own Chuck Schumer, lost it at a swanky Manhattan restaurant on Sunday after he learned that a well-connected woman had voted for Trump. After making a scene inside by declaring she voted for Trump, Schumer allegedly followed the woman and her well-known Democrat husband outside, repeatedly screaming, he's a liar. 
Apparently, this happened in Upper West Side restaurants, and uh, apparently it, it was uh, the Democrat Joseph Califano Jr., member of the board of directors at CBS, who served as the Secretary of Health, Education, and Welfare uh, for, under, under Jimmy Carter. So he was very upset that, that Califano's wife had voted for Trump, and so he actually started berating her in front of the crowd. That's how crazy Democrats are going, just to prove how nuts they are. Chris Matthews, I'm going to say, guy comes out of a show. He comes on the air. He says, you know Ivanka Trump? Jared? These people, they're just like Saddam Hussein's kids. Ah! You know, we kid, I kid about everything, but, you know, Uday and Kuse working for Saddam Hussein, you couldn't go to a restaurant and have eye contact with one of those guys without getting killed. Well, here- These people are really powerful. Imagine getting to a fight in the office with Jared or Ivanka. Well, that's they the have end. enormous power, and they're always going to be there. This is what I worry about for other people in the White House. Ivanka Trump has been described as her father's eyes and ears on the ground. That's a little scary if you're just a regular White House staffer who maybe wants to offer advice um, that criticizes the president. This is a person who loyalty is the number one trait that is that Trump cares about. You remember Are that people- time that Chris Matthews over at MSNBC, you remember when Chris Matthews, I don't have a state, remember he said, Chelsea Clinton, and she works with Hillary Clinton? You just know, you know. That if you look at Hillary Clinton cross-eyed, you look at Chelsea cross-eyed, Hillary will jump on you and tear your throat out like a dog, right to the jugular. Because it's just like Saddam Hussein. It's just like, it's like Chiano with Mussolini. Ah, he's going to shoot his own son-in-law, but only later. Until then, he's his ally. I mean, like, how much are they losing their minds when he's comparing Ivanka Trump, who is, by the way, Jewish, Comparing her to Uday and Kuse Hussein, who were literally mass murderers who had rape rooms. Okay, this is how insane the left has gone. They've lost all connection with reality. So whatever problems we have here over on the right, um, the, the left is certainly not taking advantage of them because they are just awful. They, they don't even know how to handle any of this. Well, we're going to talk some good Trump, bad Trump after this, plus what's happening in the, in the wake of Trump care going down. But first, I want to say thank you to our newest sponsors over at MVMT. So this is Movement, Movement Watches. So this watch that I have right here, right, this very cool looking watch, this I got from MVMT. Uh, it was founded on the belief that style shouldn't cost a ton of money. Uh, it was started by these two guys who basically wanted to undercut uh, the pricing on watches because watches can be really expensive. I love watches. Uh, I own like three or four of them. Uh, this is the this is the nicest watch that that I own. I wear this one every day. Actually, I, I had a watch from another brand, and after I got my uh, movement watch, my MVMT watch, and you can get your watch at mvmtwatches.com. When you uh, when when I got this watch, I actually put the other in the drawer. I've been wearing this one every day since. I think it's really cool looking. I know that uh, Clavin has one too. Uh, really nice looking watches. Uh, they, they're, they're very stylish. They fit really well. Um, and uh, it's, you know, it, it's a terrific company. I they start at 95 bucks at a department store. This would be like a four or $500 watch. It's a really, really nice watch. Um, and they figured out that if they sold online, then they'd be able to, you know, do the, do the branded thing for a lot less money. Right now, if you go to mvmtwatches.com slash Shapiro, you have 15% off with free shipping and free returns. 15% off free shipping and free returns when you use mvmtwatches.com slash Shapiro. Make sure you add the slash Shapiro so they know that we sent you. Again, their watches are just top-notch. It's clean designed. Everything looks very sleek. And it's, it's exactly the kind of watch that, that I like. And they don't all have to look, uh, you know, sort of more uh, dark and athletic like this. They have classic-looking watches as well. Uh, they have women's watches that are really nice. I'm going to get one for my wife. Uh, really top-notch material at, at competitive prices. MVMTwatches.com slash Shapiro. Um, I, I love the watch. I can't speak more highly than that of, of the product. Okay, so I think we're going to do a little bit of good Trump, bad Trump. But first, you're going to have to go over to DailyWire.com and become a subscriber if you want to watch it live. Plus, we're going to deconstruct some culture, talk Beauty and the Beast, actually. Um, so you're going to want to go over to DailyWire.com right now. $8 a month will buy you a subscription to DailyWire.com. Plus, if you get an annual subscription, then you get a free signed copy of Michael J. Knowles, Ph.D., his, uh, his best-selling book, Reasons to Vote Democrat, a, comp- a comprehensive guide. As I say, incredibly thorough. Sure, the book is blank, but still, it's a great book, and it's worth having in your library. More importantly, it's worth getting a free signed copy and sending it to all of your annoying Democrat family members because it's hilarious. DailyWire.com, $8 a month, get to a subscription, annual subscription. You get Knowles' book. Plus, I keep saying there will be a Shapiro store. There will be a Shapiro store. There's plenty of gear, and we are getting it ready right now as we speak. Uh, In the back room, I have a bunch of illegal immigrants working on it, um, and until they're deported, uh, then they will be working on all the Shapiro gear in the back. At that point, I will switch to American-made product um, as though I were running for president almost. In any case, 
Uh, go over to dailywire.com and check it out, uh, or listen later at iTunes and SoundCloud. We are the largest conservative podcast in the nation. Okay, so we haven't done this in a while because for the last week and a half, it's kind of been bad Trump. But now let's do some good Trump, bad Trump. Good Trump, bad Trump, which one will we get today? Okay, and we begin with some good Trumps. There's some actual good Trump today. Yay! See, this makes us happy when there's actual good Trump, when the president does good stuff. So, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, he has come out now and he says, these sanctuary cities, this all has to stop. The sanctuary cities where you have localities like Los Angeles that refuse to coordinate with the federal authorities, refuse to actually report if they catch somebody uh, in a crime who's an illegal immigrant for deportation, that has to stop or we're going to cut the cash. In the current fiscal year, Department of Justice's Office of Justice Programs and Community-Oriented Policing Services anticipates awarding more than $4.1 billion in grants. I strongly urge our nation's states and cities and counties to consider carefully the harm they are doing to their citizens by refusing to enforce our immigration laws and to rethink these policies. Such policies make their cities and states less safe. Public safety, as well as national security, are at stake and put them at risk of losing federal dollars. The American people want and deserve a lawful system of immigration that keeps us safe and one that serves the national interest. This ex- expectation is reasonable, just, and our government has the duty to meet it, and we will meet it. Okay, good for Jeff Thank Sessions, you. good for the Trump and administration. The current- this, of course, is exactly true. If you're a sanctuary city and you're receiving federal funding, and then you are ignoring federal law with regard to immigration and just refusing to even work with federal immigration officers, uh, then you are doing something wrong and you are endangering American citizens and American lives. Uh, There's been this big case out of Maryland where you had a school district that enrolled a 17-year-old boy and an 18-year-old boy, both illegal immigrants, enrolled them in ninth grade. In ninth grade, okay, so ninth graders are usually like 13, uh, 13, 14 years old, and um, these two kids raped a girl, reportedly. Uh, Now they are being deported along with their illegal immigrant father, uh, and this is just a case in point of when you have an illegal immigrant, when you have an immigration system that refuses to even screen people at the border, that refuses to even check up on people, that just releases people into the system and makes them dependent on public benefits, including public education, you end up with a heightened risk of crime. And this argument that you constantly hear about illegal immigrants lower the crime rate because most illegal immigrants are not here committing crimes, that's only true if you look at their comps in the in the general population in terms of in terms of income. So if you take low-income illegal immigrants and you compare them to low-income Americans, they have a lower crime rate, which makes sense because a lot of the people who are illegally immigrating are illegally immigrating here to work. They're not illegally immigrating here for the benefits. But that said, If you import an enormous number of low-income people, low-income people tend to have a higher crime rate than higher-income people. So you can't say that they lower the crime rate in the United States. They increase the crime rate in the United States. They just have a lower crime rate than the other poor people in the United States. You understand the argument? The idea is not that they have a lower crime rate than the average American. They have a lower crime rate than the people to whom they should be compared income-wise. But it's our choice whether to import a bunch of people who are on the low-income end of the scale. That's the problem here. And the fact that localities are not abiding by the law is an even more serious problem. The media, by the way, hates when we even talk about stories like this. Brian Stelter over at CNN, uh, he says that it's that we shouldn't even be talking about this rape in Maryland that has become a major national issue because, I mean, obviously it's just political. Rapes and assaults and murders are local news stories on a daily basis. But when do they break through to become national news and when do they not? This week, the health care bill, the talks in the House, dominated cable news coverage all over the place. But Fox News also focused heavily on another story and sometimes tying it to the president's immigration agenda. Watch. Two alleged assailants, Jose Montano and Henry Sanchez Million, both arrived in this country just a few months ago. This terrible crime is just the latest in a long list of Americans who are victims because of illegal immigration. The shocking case of a 14-year-old girl allegedly raped by two illegal immigrants in a Maryland school got me thinking. Do you know who's in school with your children? If you think that your school administrator, principal, has your back, think again. A sickening story from Rockville, Maryland about an alleged rape at a school. Now on Fox, 
all roads lead back to media bias. So Tucker Carlson called out channels like CNN for not covering this story thoroughly, for not covering it extensively. He also pointed out NBC, CBS, ABC's nightly newscasts did not cover this alleged rape. Now, Fox chose to focus on that, partly tying it to Trump's immigration agenda. That was a story in Maryland, but there was another story with Maryland ties. They got little to no coverage anywhere on Fox or other channels. This was a story that crossed state lines from Maryland to New York. You may not have heard about it. This was about a, a army veteran, an alleged white supremacist uh, who drove to New York and attacked a 66 year old black man with a 26 inch knife, killing that man. Now, there's much still to be learned about this story. So, you can see the let me explain what Brian Stelter is doing wrong here and why this is a problem. Number one, we actually did cover this particular story over at Daily Wire because I remember, I remember assigning it specifically because I thought it was a shocking story that was worthy of coverage. Um, but it is true that people tend to pick stories in the media that back their narrative. So it is true that we talk about the Rockville, Maryland case because it is illustrative of a broader problem in American society. The left ignores it because they don't think that illegal immigration and lack of knowledge about the people in the country is a broader problem in American society. They think it's totally fine that we don't know who's in American society. They think the real threat is white people knocking black people unconscious on streets with crowbars or with tire irons. They think that that's happening in mass numbers. Now, I would suggest that that's a far lesser problem in the United United States than the baseline problem that the government is not actually doing its job and ensuring the safety of the American citizen by making sure that the people who come here are people we even know about. But that's it. And so, you know, when it comes to covering these stories, this is just a problem with, with the human tendency. There's there's two problems with with how we cover stories. One is the human tendency to take the specific and then use it to explain the general. So we take a story like Rockville, Maryland. We say this applies broadly. Okay, you actually have to have statistical proof that it applies broadly, which is why on this program I like to talk about crime rates among immigrants and then and then illegal immigrants particularly, and then talk about what are those crime rates? Are those crime rates higher or lower than the general population? And I think that that's a worthwhile that's a worthwhile thing. If you can connect the story to a statistic that says this is a broad trend, then you're starting to build a story and build a case. If you just throw a story out there and then you just say it's a broad trend, then that's you picking and choosing stories that you choose to focus on. So, for example, CNN spent an endless amount of time on Ferguson, Missouri, after Darren Wilson shot Michael Brown. They spent an endless amount of time on that. On Baltimore, where Freddie Gray died in the back of a police van. They spent an enormous amount of time on Eric Garner in New York. We all know their names because the media spent an inordinate amount of time on all of these, on Trayvon Martin. Okay, these were all local crime stories by Brian Stelter's object, right? By, by, by his standards, these were all local crime stories. They were all covered as national news stories. Why? Because they support the left narrative that America is a racist place where white people are killing black people, or in the case of Trayvon Martin, white Hispanics are killing black people, or in the case of Eric Garner, a white sergeant is overlooking it while a bunch of other cops put him in a chokehold or a stranglehold, as, as they liked to say. It was actually a submission hold. In any case, there are two problems here. One is there's not a lot of data available on all of these issues. So people pick the stories that support their preconceived notions and then they click on them. And that's what Fox does and that's what CNN does. That's what a lot of these places do. But the real question is, can you link the story that you're talking about, the Rockville, Maryland story, for example, can you link that story with a statistical case? Can you use it as a case that illustrates the general principle and then back the general principle with statistics? Human beings have this weird tendency. It's, it's true for, for every, all learning this is actually true about. Uh, human beings have a tendency to be addicted to story. We love story. Stories are things that we just, ever since cavemen days, people sat around the fire and they told stories. We are addicted to stories. What that means in news terms is that if I give you a statistical case for why illegal immigration raises the crime rate, that is going to be less effective in how you see the story than if I tell you the story of the Maryland, uh, of the Maryland Rockville rape. Because what we tend to do is if I say something in general, you will not take it to apply to you. But if I say something specific, you will make it general and then apply it to you. This is, it's very weird how human psychology works. They've done studies like this where, for example, they take a the very famous psychological study where they take somebody and they put them behind glass, like one-way glass, and then they take a second person who's actually a hired actor and they put them in a room with a doctor and they say that this person is going to be shocked by the doctor, electrically shocked by the doctor for every answer they get wrong on a quiz. And you have the and, and you're supposed to just be an observer. You're supposed to watch it and monitor it. And you're supposed to try and stop it if something goes wrong. And what happens very and in this experiment, 
the actor will start escalating the amount of pain that they are that they are feigning. So at the beginning, they'll get a little shock, supposedly, and they'll react a little bit. And by the end, they're actually being tortured, right, in this little experiment. And what they found was that virtually nobody actually got up out of their chair and refused to be part of the experiment and tried to stop the experiment. People were willing to go along all the way. Right? People were willing to go all the way down the road with somebody being tortured in front of them for not answering quiz questions correctly. Now, here's the funny part. When people were asked... What would you do in this situation? People said, it was like 90% of people said, I would get up and I'd walk out and I'd stop this thing. When people actually were put in the situation, virtually nobody got up and stopped the situation. The reason being, the reason being, when you hear the specific story, when you hear the specific story, then you think, I would do something about that. But if I just said to you, nine in 10 people would not do anything about that, you think, well, I must be the one in 10. I must be the one in 10. Statistical cases, in other words, are not as convincing to you as me telling you the story and then giving you the statistic and then you thinking, oh, maybe I would be one of those nine in 10. People resonate to stories. That's why the news covers stories. And yes, it is a choice which stories get covered. And Trump is making an overt effort now to cover a lot of the illegal immigrant crime stories and connect it to a narrative that's no different than something that Barack Obama did. And there's much more statistical evidence to suggest that illegal immigration has a crime element to it than there is to suggest that cops everywhere across America are targeting for, for destruction black folks across America, which is something Obama pushed all the time. Okay, so that is uh, that's some good Trump. There's actually a little more good Trump. Trump has a big new executive order that is supposed to kick off today. He's going to order his cabinet to start demolishing a bunch of global warming regulations, including emissions rules for power plants and limits on methane leaks. Uh, he's going to rewrite the rules of the EPA so that the EPA presumably uh, can't actually regulate carbon emissions, which makes sense under the Clean Air Act. Uh, there's nothing in there about carbon because carbon is not actually a pollutant. Um, yeah, unclear whether he's going to abrogate the Paris climate deals, but all of this should be done, and it is about time that Trump did it. One of the best things that Trump has done so far was the was the movement of Scott Pruitt into the EPA, because the fact is that environmental regulations that are currently being promulgated under the Obama directives, those do cripple the economy. Those do do it without a lot of countervailing evidence suggesting uh, that human activity is solely responsible for climate change or even largely responsible for climate change or even what the extent of climate change will be. So the left is going nuts. They think we're all going to die. I don't actually think that we're all going to die. And in fact, I have a solution for the left. If you think that carbon emissions are really so terrible, if you think they're the worst thing ever, then I would suggest that you stop blocking the, the creation of nuclear power plants in states around the country. In, in California, I think we have one or two nuclear power plants. We have any, haven't had any built since 1979. Uh, we're the most populous state in the country. Uh, there's no reason whatsoever why the state of California should not be solely powered by nuclear power. At this point, France is basically powered by nuclear power. It turns out that the market has some solutions for all of this. It's just stuff that the left is not willing to accept. Okay, time, unfortunately, for some bad Trump now. So, bad Trump. Oh, no. So, last night, this goes back to Donald Trump has decided now that he's not going to work with the Freedom Caucus anymore. Uh, I warned for literally well over a year that President Trump was going to govern like a centrist Democrat uh, when he had to govern with Congress. In his executive orders, he's able to do what he wants. But most big accomplishments that a president creates are not accomplishments that he does on his own, except for war and peace. When it comes to domestic policy, very few presidents actually do anything on their own. FDR had a Democrat Congress. He rammed a bunch of stuff through. Ronald Reagan had some Republicans and some Democrats. He put through a bunch of policies that people liked. Bill Clinton worked with the Republican Congress. Donald Trump needs to work with Congress, but instead of working with the conservatives in Congress, he has always itched to work with the Democrats. He wants that bipartisan feel. He wants the approval. And last night he tweets this out. He tweets, the Republican House Freedom Caucus was able to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. This is on Trump care. After so many bad years, they were ready for a win. <laughs> and then he follows that up with, the Democrats will make a deal with me on health care as soon as Obamacare folds. Not long. Do not worry. We are in very good shape. No, we are not in very good shape. And Democrats are not going to cut a deal with Trump because Trump has a 9% approval rating among Democrats. If they go and make a deal with Trump, their own constituents will murder them. It's not going to happen. But Trump is looking for love in all the wrong places because he actually wants to pursue this big government statist agenda that is the nationalist populist agenda that is not conservative. So when it comes to things like unleashing business by getting rid of regulations, good for Trump. When it comes to cracking down on illegal immigration with regard to sanctuary cities, good for Trump. When it comes to growing the size and scope of government, 
not good Trump. And unfortunately, Trump is moving toward the Democrats because this is something he has always wanted to do. During the campaign, Trump said openly he did not care if Republicans lost the Senate because then he'd get to work with Democrats. He may get his wish in 2018, and it ain't going to be what he wanted because Democrats are not interested in working with Trump. If Democrats take over the House in 2018, they will move to impeach within the first month. Okay, Sean Spicer says Trump is open to working with Democrats, too. Good luck, gang. Is the president serious about working with Democrats going That's forward after what happened with health care? Absolutely. In fact, um, starting Friday afternoon through late yesterday, he's received a number of calls, as well as other members of the senior staff, uh, that had been working on health care. Uh, from members of both sides saying that they would like to work together, offer up ideas, um, and had suggestions about how to uh, come to resolution on this and get to a House vote on this. Okay, so it's not going to happen. The idea that Democrats are going to cave and they're going to, they're just going to go along with whatever Trump wants to do to fix Obamacare. Not unless Obama, uh, not unless Trump proposes some sort of single payer nationalized health care system. If he moves to the left, then they'll work with him. But the idea that they're just waiting to be taken up by Trump is utter nonsense. And this is one of the things that's driving me absolutely bonkers about this, up a wall, is the idea that if Trump had just gotten what he wanted, everything would be well. The American Health Care Act had a 17% approval rating, re-enshrined the central provisions of Obamacare, really didn't lower the deficit in the long term because the fact is that those grants, those block grant systems, that was not going to stay in place. And they, then the block grants were going to be increased the same way that grants have been increased for Medicare over the years. Medicare reimbursement rates have constantly increased. There's never been a reimbursement scheme that doesn't increase over time. And yet, we are told that it's not Trump's fault. It's, it's everybody else's fault. It's Paul Ryan's fault. It's the, it's the House Freedom Caucus's fault. It is Paul Ryan's fault, by the way. It is not the House Freedom Caucus's fault. But those are the people being blamed. And, and there's this new meme that's coming about from people who I thought would know better saying that it's just the intransigence of these Freedom Caucus folks for not voting for a bill that, by the way, if Trump had spent one month negotiating with the Freedom Caucus, he actually would have gotten passed. Here's Ted Poe, a guy who resigned from the Freedom Caucus in allegiance to Trump. I, uh, quick note, I have to note this, okay? The Freedom Caucus, people are acting like the Freedom Caucus was a bunch of people like me who didn't vote for Trump or Hillary. The Freedom Caucus is chock full of people who are huge Trump supporters. Mark Meadows was a huge Trump supporter. Louis Gomer was a huge Trump supporter. They said it was a bad bill because it was a bad bill. Good for them for being honest. Ted Poe, though, he says the Freedom Caucus, all they do is they're, they're just these purists. This is, these purists are just awful. So it's a compromise. And I think that uh, there is nothing that could be added to the bill that the Freedom Caucus would ever vote yes on. And so it, uh, you know, I, got, I got the opinion that there's some members of the Freedom Caucus, they'd vote no against the Ten Commandments if it came up for a vote. Pure so, nonsense, uh, pure hogwash, pure nonsense. The fact is that if Trump had made four or five different concessions to the Freedom Caucus, they would have voted for the thing. It would have gone to the Senate. The Senate would have made all sorts of changes to it. It would have gone to some sort of conference committee, and an entirely new bill would have been created that was voted on. But the idea that Trump couldn't have conceded anything, that they're just these crazy terrorists, it's funny. They're now talking about, he's now talking, Hugh Hewitt yesterday, saying they're the Area 51 Caucus. They are now talking about the House Freedom Caucus in exactly the same way the Obama administration talked about the Tea Party. Obama said that the Tea Party they were terrorists. They were they were ho holding the government hostage is the kind of language they used. And now we're hearing from Republicans that conservatives who actually were honest enough to want to keep the promises that they made about repealing Obamacare, not just pretending to appeal, re repeal Obamacare, but actually repealing the thing, that those conservatives are the bad guys. Bill O'Reilly says the same thing. He says, oh, these ideological free freedom caucus, they are the bad guys. Also, I'm evaluating the entire situation. What good does it do my party, the Republican Party, and the president, if I oppose the first proposal the House puts forth, knowing that proposal will be changed in the Senate and come back to me for another vote. Seems logical that you move the process along and then at the end, when the entire bill is before you, you vote your conscience. Except for, the fact that that's, except for the fact that there's no guarantee that the bill is going to change in a, right way, in a rightward direction. Maybe it changes in a leftward direction. And even if you get a second vote, maybe the bill is something you don't vote for. And then people say, well, why'd you vote for the first one but not the second one? Maybe it doesn't even go to the Senate. Maybe it dies in the Senate. And then Trump gets his victory, but you've now voted for something that didn't repeal Obamacare. Okay, the idea that Trump could have slapped his own feces on a, on a sheet of paper, and then they should have just sent that to the Senate because, hey, it's procedural. No, you vote against things you don't like. That's how government is supposed to work. You vote against bills that are bad. And I'm getting very sick of this routine that it's that the that 
says that it's the purists who are the problem. It's the purists who are the problem. So let me get this straight. It's the purists. You know, the people who have been saying the Republican Party has been caving too much? Those are the people who are the problem. Not the people actually doing the caving, the people who have resisted the caving. Those are the people who are the problem. Dennis Prager, who's a friend of mine, close friend of mine, Dennis writes a column today that I just think is wrong, and he says in it that it's pure, it's his purists kill whatever they believe in. First of all, it is not a purist position to say, I'm not going to vote for a bad bill. There are changes to this bill that would have made it more bad, more good than bad. Right now, it's a lot more bad than good. It was wildly unpopular. It would have increased the chances of a death spiral for private insurance. It was just a bad bill. By every available metric, it was a bad bill. Okay, and the and the and people are saying it should have rammed it through just for Trump because it's more important that Trump get his win than that conservatives stand on any sort of principle. Forget on pure principle, on any sort of principle. So today Prager has a column where he says what we have here is another conservative example of purism and principle damaging another major opportunity to do good. Except this wasn't a major opportunity to do good. It was, a t- it was a chance for Republicans to adopt all of the same premises, uh, all of the same premises for their arguments as Democrats, and to adopt all of the same content as was in Obamacare, except for the Medicare, uh, except for the Medicaid block grants. Okay, that that is not an opportunity. That's not a major opportunity to do good. I think that what's happening here is it's so funny. There are people accusing conservatives of being purists. I think the real purist here is there is a group of people on the right who have turned into Trump purists. They've turned into Trump purists. And what that means is that it does not matter what Trump puts in front of them, they will approve it. And then if he moves to the left, they will blame the conservatives for not having been conciliatory enough with Trump. That's not how any of this is supposed to work. Okay, daddy does not have an excuse to hit mommy, even if mommy was mean to him. Okay, this idea that Trump gets to move to the left because conservatives were mean to him is just a bunch of hogwash. The only purist that I'm seeing here, I would be willing to make, to cut a deal on health care that doesn't give me anything that I want. doesn't give me everything that I want. What I'm not willing to do is sign a bill or, or back a bill that is more bad than good by a very, very wide margin. But again, you want to talk purist language? Here's some purist language. This is from Dennis. Donald Trump is a conservative dream. He's a dream, Donald Trump. Okay, never mind the fact that All of his major executive actions have currently been blocked by the courts. Never mind that he's about to push a $1 trillion infrastructure plan. Never mind the fact that he's openly talking about abandoning conservatives in favor of Democrats. He's a conservative dream. And then he says he's still not good enough for those conservatives who remain never Trumpers. Okay, never Trump died after the election. Never Trump is not a thing. Never. I didn't vote for Trump. That was never Trump. Okay, now... The question is, is he doing good stuff or is he doing bad stuff? I just did an entire segment about the good stuff Trump is doing. The only purist here is right now Dennis Prager, who says that everything that Trump is doing is good and can't name any lie that he's told and can't name anything bad that he's done. He says, it's quite possible that I and most other conservatives who supported the repeal bill agree with just about every criticism of the bill that House conservatives made. But just as in the general election, the question wasn't whether candidate Trump was our ideal. The question now wasn't whether the bill was our ideal. The question during the election was, what will happen if Democrats and the left win the presidency again? And the question now was and remains, what will happen if Republicans don't pass a bill favored by all by twenty-five to all but 25 to 30 Republicans? You know what will happen? They'll go back to the drawing board. You know what will happen? They'll actually bring a better bill. Okay, the idea here, the, the binary logic of the election, not something I bought into, but at least was compelling. There is no such logic here. He says, purists don't ask, ask such questions. They live in a somewhat different world than the rest of us who actually agree with them on everything. We don't ask what is ideologically pure and true to our principles. We ask what is closest to our ideology and to our principles. No, right now there are a lot of people asking what is closest to Trump because Trumpian victory is the only victory that we'll ever have for our principles. If your final hope for conservatism lies in Donald Trump, I would suggest that you need to re-examine your priorities. Because right now, Trump is president. This isn't a choice between Trump and Hillary anymore. This is, how will Trump be the best president he can be? How will he be the most conservative president he can be? And the answer is, don't approve bad crap. Don't approve bad crap. This is, I mean, again, I love Dennis so much as a person, but I think he's so wrong on this. He says, we have one larger principle than even the conservatives ones we share with purists. Defeating the left. It is not defeating the left to re-enshrine their central principles of government. That is not defeating the left. We all want to defeat the left. There's no one who wants to defeat the left more than I do. I spend my entire life working on it every day. We have different strategies for doing it. My strategy does not include greenlighting bad policy that the left agrees with in large part. This is just, it's, it's just mistaken logic. He says that movements die when purists take it over. Well, Trumpism is going to die when the purest Trumpists take it, when the pure Trumpists take it over and say everything he does is godlike and wonderful. And conservatism can die another way, not when purists take it over, not when the people who actually care about conservative principle take it over. 
conservatism can die when a bunch of people inside say, you know what? We don't actually need that principle anymore. We just need whoever is going to fight the left. But we're not going to define how to fight the left or what it means to win against the left. We're just going to say fight the left. Anything the left opposes will be for. That's not conservatism at all. That's not a conservative movement. That's an anti-movement. I'm fine with being anti-left, but it's not the same thing as being pro-conservative. They're two different things. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things I hate. And uh, we're going to do it all in the next 45 seconds, apparently. So, things that I like. Um, we are doing movies of betrayal. So I tried to pick movies this week where the betrayal is not the, is not the big twist ending. Uh, so Gladiator, uh, well, since we're doing Braveheart remakes, Gladiator, uh, which is the same movie as Braveheart, basically, uh, is, uh, it is a very good movie. Should it have been Best Picture that year? Maybe, because nothing else good was made that year. Is it, like, the best movie of all time? No, people overrate the movie. Uh, is it a movie that if it's on TV, you will certainly watch it? It doesn't matter where you tune in. Yeah, it's one of those movies. It's, it's a super rewatchable movie. Gladiator with Russell Crowe. Of course, he's betrayed right at the very beginning by Joaquin Phoenix, giving one of the creepier performances of his already creepy career. And here is Russell Crowe in, uh, in Gladiator. The general became a slave. The slave who became a gladiator. Gladiator defied an emperor. Only a famous death will do. The frost. Sometimes it makes the blade stick. You find yourself alone, riding in green fields with the sun on your face. Do not be troubled, for you are in Elysium, and you're already dead! That's a good movie. Um, it's worth watching. Uh, it's it's fictionalized history, um, but so are most good movies about history fictionalized in some respect. Uh, definitely a watchable movie with a betrayal, and a betrayal is the theme of uh, of this week's of this week's show. Okay, other things that I like. So this I thought was hilarious. There is this video that's going around of this fitness guy who has stacked up all of these dumbbells, and uh, and now he's going to do a handstand on top of them just to show how buff he is. But in the background of this video. There is this old guy who looks like Bernie Sanders draining free throws, and so, and so you you tell me which is more impressive: what this this young buck is doing, or what the old guy's doing in the background. You can't miss. <laughs> so I'm going to go with the old guy in the background because uh, the young guy's had some training. I know who the old guy is, unless he's a former NBA player. Pretty amazing. I do, I do love that. That's why it went viral. It wouldn't have gone viral if it were just the guy on the dumbbells. The old guy in the background draining the jumpers is what makes it, or the, or the hobblers, as the case may be, is what makes this work. Okay, other things that I like. Rachel Dolezal is back. This is, the, uh, this is the white lady who thinks she's black, and, uh, and she says that she identifies as black. I love this story so much. I will never stop loving this story. Uh, it's just, it's spectacular. I say that you are, in fact, a member of the African-American community. I think that's the disconnect people still have. What, what's mm. your response? And I'm sure you hear it all the time. Right. Well, I, I don't identify as African-American. I identify as black, so I am, I am part of the Pan-African diaspora, and I definitely feel like in America, even though race is a social construct, and we've acknowledged this in academia and in science, there still is a line drawn in the sand. There's still so she's a, a total crazy lady, and what's amazing about this is people are saying, you know how white it is to not understand the experience of black people? Okay, now let's say men and women. Use that exact same logic for men and women. Oh, it seems that you're running from the exact same argument you made about race one second ago when it comes to sex. And sex is significantly more biological than race. There are no hard lines between the races. There are hard lines between the sexes. But again, I, this is why I love this story so much. It exposes every stupid thing the left has ever said in one story. Rachel Dolezal is a godsend to conservatives. She's the greatest thing that ever happened to conservatives. It, she, she is right that race is a social construct, meaning that it is something that, that people have created as a marker that doesn't actually mean anything. And then the left objects to that because they say race means everything. They can't let it go. They don't actually like the idea of race not meaning everything. And then they say that race is biological, but sex isn't, which is just hilarious from any scientific point of view. Best story ever. Okay. 
okay. Uh, the deconstructing culture thing, we, I promise this will take actually like 20 seconds. So this is a very quick thing. So deconstructing the culture. Uh, we don't have time to actually go through all the things I had prepared. Um, but uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson tweeted this out the other day, and this is intensely stupid. So he tweeted, for your information, as a percent of total, Disney's Beauty and the Beast contains fewer gay characters than found in the general population. Okay, I wasn't aware that movies were supposed to reflect the census data. Also, I assume Beauty and the Beast has more talking teapots than are found in the general population. Also, more beasts that turn into humans than are found in the general population. It's a movie. The problem that a lot of people have on all of the Beauty and the Beast stuff is it's supposed to be a children's movie, and in a children's movie, it is not appropriate to discuss sexuality. And the reason it is not appropriate to discuss sexuality in a children's movie is because relationships between men and women are not necessarily about the sex per se. They're also about marriage and rearing of children. Homosexual relationships are much more about if you're going to explain why two men are living together and they're not just friends, that's a little bit different than explaining why mommy and daddy live together because they're taking care of the kids they produce together. It's just a, it's a longer explanation that requires a sexual component that does not exist in explanations about men and women. That's why people object. They don't want to have to talk to their kids about homosexual activity in the middle of watching a movie about talking teapots. Okay, so that, that's, that's why Neil deGrasse Tyson is the stupidest smart person in the world. I mean, he, just every other day he's tweeting something ridiculous and stupid. Um, but we'll have to save my Power Rangers talk for next time. I have Power Rangers talk, things to say there um, that will tick off Austin and Mathis. But we'll, we'll, we'll leave them free. So we'll do that next time. Instead, we'll be back tomorrow. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. This show is brought to you by Helix Sleep. Sleep, especially as you get older, is so critical, but no two people sleep alike. That's why Helix offers several different mattress models, each designed for specific sleep positions and preferences. Go to helixsleep.com dailywire and take their sleep quiz to find the mattress made for you. Whether you're a side sleeper, a stomach sleeper, a hot sleeper, or a cold sleeper, Helix has just the mattress for you. I took the Helix sleep quiz and was matched with a Helix midnight mattress because I wanted a medium firmness and I sleep on my side. I am sleeping so much better on my new mattress. Don't want to take my word for it? Well, Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Take the quiz and order the perfect mattress right to your door, shipped for free. It's so quick and fun to unbox, and you won't believe how well you'll sleep. All Helix mattresses come with a 100-night trial and a 10- or 15-year warranty. Helix even offers financing options and flexible payment plans. A great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and a free bedroom bundle for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com dailywire and use code HELIXPARTNER20. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. That's helixsleep.com slash dailywire, code helixpartner20.